Empire Lines uncovers the unexpected, often two-way flows of empires through art. Interdisciplinary thinkers use individual artworks as artifacts of imperial exchange, revealing the how and why of the monolith empire. In this episode, Dr. Piotr Puchalski depicts interwar Poland's imperial aspirations. Through the Maritime and Colonial League's 1938 poster, Colonial Days, We Demand Colonies for Poland. An imposing transatlantic steamer cruises across a blue ocean in the direction of a vaguely sketched exotic green island. A large pair of hands protrude upwards, imploring over a map of contemporary Poland. Żądamy, the Polish word for we demand, shoots across the image, written in a conspicuous blue. Beneath it, the follow-up phrase, colonies for Poland, sits starkly in a bolder black. This modernist poster was created for the occasion of the so-called colonial days in Poland in April 1938. It was produced by the Maritime and Colonial League, the country's government-sponsored institution in charge of colonial propaganda. Its stark imagery reveals the Polish government's interest in colonialism as a source of national wealth in the late 1930s, as it underlines the necessity of colonial exploits for the country's well-being. Today's Poland is rarely considered a historic empire or colonial power, rather a victim itself of imperial and colonial exploitation, most famously by Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union in World War II. As such, colonial days speaks to Polish cultural and socioeconomic insecurities that persist to this day, alongside wider political and artistic trends in interwar Europe. This particular poster also colors contemporary European perceptions of Africa more widely. Such colonial propaganda from Eastern Europe is a reminder that colonialism was a truly global phenomenon. It attracted the interests of powers without colonies of their own, whose ambitions were often translated into actions. Poland has been repeatedly occupied throughout history and didn't exist as an independent country from the late 18th century to the end of the First World War. In 1918, the first modern Polish state emerged from the ruins of three continental empires, the Habsburg Empire, the German Empire, and the Russian Empire. Independence only came as the Central Powers lost the war and the other partitioning power, Russia, became engulfed in a revolution. It also hinged upon the successful efforts by Polish diplomats before and during the Paris Peace Conference to secure the western borders with defeated Germany and on the winning of a series of border wars, especially with Soviet Russia in 1919-1920. But from 1920, and especially during the Great Depression from late 1929, Poland's systemic domestic problems began to threaten its very existence. Warsaw's continued adherence to the gold standard meant that all surplus hard currency was spent on national debt or raw materials, 
with little left for investment in industry. Agriculture was also overpopulated. Only 10% of farms were profitable, and the industry was simply unable to absorb excess peasants. Still hanging between Germany and Russia, Poland was ever conscious of its post-imperial status. The state thus sought ways to remedy its endemic, socioeconomic, and geopolitical problems. And one of its lesser-known strategies was the attempt to acquire colonial concessions from the League of Nations and Western powers in places such as Cameroon and Madagascar, which was supposed to supply Poland with emigration outlets and sources of cheap raw materials. During its brief period of sovereignty, the Polish state understood colonialism as a system that dictated relations with the world outside of Europe. By building a privileged economic relationship with countries in Africa, Poland's leader, Marshal Piłsudski, and right-hand men like General Gustaw Orlicz Drescher and Major Mieczysław Lepecki looked to bypass British or French commercial intermediaries and obtain raw materials such as cotton and rubber directly at the source. These inexpensive raw materials would accelerate Poland's industrialization, which would in turn reduce agricultural unemployment. To accomplish this aim, Polish colonists and intelligence agents, such as Captain Kamil Giżycki, thus positioned themselves simultaneously as colonialists and anti-colonialists. In the early 1930s, Poland forged an unstable alliance with Portugal, a power that practiced perhaps the most formal and exploitative sort of settler colonialism in order to establish plantations in Angola. This project came to a stop with Salazar's cracking down on foreign influence in Portuguese colonies. A couple of years later, the Maritime and Colonial League helped independent Liberia to escape the clutches of the League of Nations and signed a secret treaty with its government to secure mutual benefits. While Warsaw never controlled any formal colonies, it briefly exerted influence on independent Liberia on the coast of West Africa. These contradictory policies exposed the extent to which the opportunistic Polish elites adjusted to different forms of colonialism present around the world, whether it was state-based or internationalist colonialism. But these efforts were interrupted by the coming of war in Europe. In the late 1930s, the Polish leadership tried to keep Poland afloat as a neutral state between Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. But the Western powers were willing to sacrifice Eastern Europe to delay war. Witnessing the Anschluss of Austria in 1938 and the continuous Nazi German demands for the Sudetenland, Poland feared falling victim to Western appeasement too. In response, the Polish government supported a series of parades and lectures across Poland called the Colonial Days in April 1938. Its official aim was to pressure the Western powers to grant colonial concessions to Poland and continue the project of Polish economic development. But its secret intention was to draw the international public's attention to Africa, where an alternative appeasement could take place. In fact, Chamberlain considered carving out an economic sphere of influence in Central Africa for Hitler in the fall of 1938. The colonial days were advertised by the government-controlled 
Maritime and Colonial League, the popular medium of the poster proved a crucial propaganda tool, not just to generate high attendance, but to create the impression in the West that large sections of the Polish population supported the state's colonial aspirations too. Colonial Days, the poster's title, dominates the top section of the poster with the date 7 to 13th of April 1938 written below in beige letters. Beyond simple information, its imagery performs multiple functions. Firstly, its colonial imagery was supposed to appeal to an average Polish citizen, peasant and town dweller alike. It assumes that this population living in a cold and wet climate, would be fascinated by exoticism, palm trees, an abundance of tropical fruit, and strange, dark-skinned people. Secondly, the central image of the hands protruding from the map is meant to suggest that Poland's colonial demands are being issued by the entire nation. Their imploring gesture implies that these colonies are an absolute necessity upon which the nation's collective life depends. This was not the case, as more ambitious agricultural reforms could alleviate socioeconomic problems just as well. But colonial propaganda was also to contribute to creating patriotic, if not nationalistic, sentiment for Poland. The poster stirs a sense of urgency in its viewers, drawing their attention with abstract and surreal but intense images, such as the pair of hands protruding from the map of contemporary Poland. Poland's foreign minister, Józef Beck, was worried that if his country did not display strength, then it would be considered weak and potentially a target of German expansion, with the blessing from British and French appeasers. By appealing to their patriotism, this poster thus encouraged Poles to attend the parades, lectures and performances of the colonial days to avert a national catastrophe in a turbulent era of appeasement. Another motif of the colonial days was Africa as a destination for European and Jewish immigration. Before World War II, Poland was home to about 3 million Jews, which made it the state with the second largest Jewish population in the world. Many Polish Jews lived in towns and cities, working as artisans and skilled workers, This became a great source of ethnic tension with Christian peasants, as the latter looked for employment during the Great Depression. Anti-Semitism rose into the late 1930s, and the Polish government sought to appease the far-right opposition by encouraging Jews to emigrate. Palestine remained largely off-limits to new Jewish immigrants due to British imperial quotas introduced after the Arab-Jewish riots of 1936. Instead, places such as Madagascar were suggested as emigration destinations, as the prospect of Jews relocating far away pleased the Polish far right. At the same time, the Polish government would also encourage Jews to act as Polish agents in these colonies, conflating the anti-Semitic and colonial ideas. Poland is thus at the center of the poster. Its tragic economic situation explained its supposed need for colonies, 
and its people were portrayed as imploring the world for raw materials and a new national home for its Jews. We don't know which particular artist produced this poster, only that it is attributed to the Maritime and Colonial League. As Richard Gray highlights in his Empire Lines podcast about the Mozambican Revolution, posters were sometimes collective artworks that are not attributed to individual artists, as they require collaboration between photographers, painters, graphic designers. It's not clear if multiple artists collaborated on this particular poster, but the piece draws from many contemporary cultural and social influences, including modernism. The Polish school of poster making, which blossomed in the 1980s, was rooted in the interwar period. Artists such as Edmund Bartłomiejczyk and Stefan Norblin put their art at the service of the state to create posters that fulfilled many social functions. Some posters warned citizens about the menace of Soviet Russia in 1920, for example those by Bartłomiejczyk in which Bolsheviks appear as abstract, almost shapeless figures. Others implied a global Polish network of economic connections, like the poster depicting the newly opened Polish shipping line to Palestine, which was inspired by colonial and modernist style. Many posters also promoted vacations on the Baltic Sea. Stefan Norblin's posters in particular features many art deco and modernist elements, slightly cubist figures of humans, abstracted background silhouettes, bright colors standing in contrast. Indeed, modernism and art were often influenced by colonial interactions. As scholars such as Christine Schroeder similarly argue that works of the German Neue Sachlichkeit, or New Objectivity, unwillingly referenced European racial anthropology practiced in Africa in the early 20th century. She points out, for example, that Christian Schad's abstract paintings of black circus performers are racializing. New scholarship suggests how the legacies of colonial phenomena such as racial pseudoscience, linguistics, and anthropology are reflected in Eastern European art. According to Marie Gasper Hulvat, even the ostentatiously anti-colonial Soviet drawings in school textbooks replicated racial stereotypes. Poland never formally owned colonies, and only briefly enjoyed spheres of influence. We should be careful before equaling Polish colonial aspirations, which are manifested in this poster, with colonialism. My latest book, Poland in a Colonial World Order, reveals how the interwar period was colonial in nature, and any sovereign state was necessarily interacting with colonialism, whether its leader wished to or not. Whilst rapidly chasing after the so-called Western standards of living, the effects of World War II can still be experienced in Poland, particularly in terms of infrastructure. The most glaring symbol of Poland's post-imperial character is the capital city of Warsaw, which was systematically destroyed in late 1944 by the retreating Germans, one building after another. There is no doubt that Poland was and perhaps remains, a post-imperial state. Historically, however, this does not stop elites from pursuing colonial policies. In fact, a post-imperial status often breeds a desire to right the wrong by questionable means, generating new forms of unequal relationships in the process. 
this vicious cycle should be at the forefront of our minds as we continue to study empire. Empire Lines is produced by Jelena Sofronievich. For more episodes, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.